What is which? You just love buying diesel fuel? Meanwhile, wheat prices have crashed. Wait just a cotton-picking minute, would ya? Well, I think everyone else is going to cut wheat acres. I think we should stay the course. I think you'll look at it just a little bit differently. Good day, and welcome to Wheat Beats Word here on RealAgriculture.com for Wednesday, August the 31st. August 31st, hey, tomorrow's September. We need to be planting wheat. On this episode of The Word, crop notes, blunt ears in corn. Now, that's blunt ear syndrome, something we're not that common in Ontario. Soybean diseases, we're starting to see more of them. What's going on there? Some specific questions that have come in, and at the end of the episode, some wheat variety updates and notes on questions that have come in. Let's go. First off, yes, tomorrow, September 1st, my awesome technician, Shane, is ready to go to the field and we will plant wheat tomorrow, September 1st, if the wheels don't fall off. First time in my career, we'll actually get to the field on September 1st. That's kind of exciting. Meanwhile, wheat prices have crashed and everybody's saying, Peter, the marketplace is saying, do not grow wheat. Drop wheat out of the rotation. Just grow corn and soybeans for a couple of years because that's what the marketplace is demanding. Wait. Just a cotton-picking minute, would you? Look at the forward contract prices. I know that the price right now for 2016, the wheat we just harvested, it's awful. And yes, it crashed. And it crashed because there's too much wheat in the world. And did you know that somewhere in the world, every day, they're harvesting wheat with the exception of February. So it's a pretty constant supply. Meanwhile, you have lots of bushels to sell because we had the biggest crop ever. We are are much above the rest of the Great Lakes states in terms of yield. Ontario can grow the highest wheat yields of any jurisdiction in the Great Lakes Basin, and that's where the soft wheat is predominantly grown. 2017 wheat right now, so the wheat you're going to plant this fall, is not priced equal to corn. It's 50 cents a bushel more than corn. Current price at the elevator for soft red winter wheat, 2017, down the pipe in July or August, 480 a bushel. 2017 corn, 430 a bushel. Oh, it should be a dollar a bushel spread. Don't argue with that, but it's not as bad as you make it out to be. And don't forget the rotation benefit. I know I've talked about this lots, but about six or eight bushels of corn, five bushels of soybeans. So when you do the economics, you want to run through that process. Fair enough. Make sure that you add the first five bushels of soybeans to the wheat crop at $12 a bushel. That's $60 more on the wheat crop front. And that first six or eight bushels of corn, corn at you know, four, $4 a bushel after drying and eight bushels be another $30 there. So we're looking at very close to $100 an acre added profit to keep wheat in the rotation, plus the straw value, plus the better soil resiliency, the better soil health. You just can't convince me that you should be walking away from wheat in Ontario. Low prices? That may actually help us because everywhere else where they can grow even better corn and better soybeans and they like wheat less, they're going to shrink their acreage big time. And my dad always used to say, when everyone else is walking, you should run. When everyone else is running, you should walk. Well, I think everyone else is going to cut wheat acres. I think we should stay the course, particularly if we can get the crop planted early. We have chance at 
big yields, I just can't understand why you wouldn't continue to plant wheat. On the wheat front, by the way, as I drive around the countryside, I just hang my head and shake it and nearly makes me ill almost. The number of fields where growers have done nothing, I repeat, nothing since they harvested the wheat. They don't have a cover crop planted. They haven't clipped the weeds. They haven't sprayed the weeds. I drive past one field in particular, and I swear by Mike Cobra's counts in terms of weed seed set after wheat comes off, I bet you there is 50 million seeds per acre on that field that are going to go down weed seeds. Everything from Philadelphia fleabane to ragweed and lamb's quarters and foxtail. And the problem with that is next year, they're going to grow corn there or soybeans, whatever the rotation brings. And they're going to spray it with a herbicide. The herbicide is going to give them probably 95% control. And if you didn't have 50 million seeds per acre, that would be good control and you'd be quite acceptable. With 50 million seeds per acre, even at 95% control, that's an ugly disaster waiting to happen. And all of a sudden you have poor weed control. And as one caller noted this past week, man, if you don't get good weed control, it on a dry year has such a huge negative impact on your crop. So you just have to get good weed control. You're never going to do it if you keep those weed seeds going back. So kudos to everyone who has planted a cover crop, who's clipped those weeds. Hopefully you're out there. If you see a neighbor not doing that, let's put a little peer pressure on those people. Let's go talk to them and say, hey, come with me. Come with for a drive. Look at this field. You know, look at all the weeds that are going to seed there. Do you really think that that's going to be long-term healthy? Somehow, we all need to get better on that front. One other quick note, tillage on wheat stubble. That's the other flip side of the coin. There are growers that I have seen that have gone out there eight, nine, and ten times with tillage since they took the wheat off. Now, the upside is there's not a weed going to seed there. They've land leveled. They've lime, they've chisel plowed, they've cultivated, they've rolled whole. What is with, do you just love buying diesel fuel? Goodness sakes, every time you go over that field, you are burning organic matter. Every time you burn organic matter, you do the exact opposite of what we want to do because you reduce the soil resiliency. In those situations, maybe you have to land level, whatever, do the minimum, get it done and plant that cover crop because I just can't tolerate weeds going to seed in a wheat field or way too much tillage after my wheat crop comes off. All right, enough on that. I'm going to talk about blunt ear syndrome. So from Holly Lucas, a Dow agronomist, she's seeing lots of blunt ear syndrome in corn. So that's where you get corn plants. Won't be the whole field. Might be worse in a low spot or a, a high spot, a particular area of the field, or it can be just sporadic throughout the field. Just isolated cobs, isolated plants. What's really intriguing. So you get these cobs, they're called beer can ears or they're called this blunt ear syndrome and they might be three inches long with kernels and then they just kind of disappear into nothingness. Sometimes there's a ball of silk at the end and we've seen it other places in the world. But what's really interesting about this syndrome is that it's an obvious one-time stress and it's a one-time stress between the V8 and V12 stage. So sometime probably in the last half of June and most people relate it to a cold stress that impacts the hormonal balance in the plant and screws up the development of that cob so that you can't get a good ear on that particular plant. The plant will look healthy and normal, so it's not an ongoing stress, it's a one-time stress. 
Bob Nielsen out of Purdue University in Indiana really thinks it's a cold stress. I know that June was just a normal temperature month for us. I don't remember a particularly cold night that would cause this. It is stress related. Maybe it's just a big swing in temperature from a really warm day to kind of a cool night. Sometimes they call that a diurnal fluctuation. Big diurnal fluctuations you can get this. But if you're seeing it out there in the field, it is going on. We are seeing some of that. And you can sort of tell as you drive past the field or as you walk down the rows because you know how the cob should be big and full all the way out. A blunt ear, the cob almost looks as if a cone, a, an ice cream cone's inverted because it tapers down. There's no cob at the top of the husk. So it really tapers down in that cone shape and you just know you've got one of those blunt ears that did not develop. The other really interesting thing out there in the corn crop from Eastern Ontario and Stephanie Nanny, who's an agronomist with Sullivan Agro, they did some of these flag tests from Randy Dowdy that we talked about last year and she went out and harvested some cobs. Really intriguing. So day one, day two, about 166, 167 bushels per acre. By day four, the emergence on the plants on day four, 136 bushels per acre. On day five and after, down to 27 bushels per acre. So from those tests, you'd say it has to emerge in the first 48 hours. Now I have gone out to some of our sites. We're not seeing that big a swing. There's a swing there for sure, but not that biggest swing and and the combine will tell we are going to go out there and hand sample those but boy this this emergence really looking like it has big big impact out in eastern Ontario and probably other places as well more so this year maybe than other years based on the drought and just on plant-to-plant -plant competition not sure but looking forward to more of that data coming in so if you're harvesting some get it into us on to soybean diseases and from Albert Tanuta the provincial pathologist with the Ministry of Agriculture and Food seeing lots of sudden death syndrome out there in soybean fields. A few people also thinking they're seeing some brown stem rot. They do look fairly similar. Remember, if you split the stem and the pith is white, then that's sudden death syndrome. Brown stem rot, the pith goes brown. And at the end of the day, does it really matter? No, you're going to lose some yield, but it's late in the going. The fact that it's showing up late in the going means it will have less impact for sure. Not a lot you can do about it other than mark those fields, say, wow, okay, so that field has a sudden death syndrome. That's a fusarium problem, a very aggressive fusarium disease in the soybean crop. So in the future, when we grow soybeans there, number one, we got to stay in a good rotation. We need some time in between soybeans or we're going to get into more problems. And number two, we probably should look for a variety that, that has better tolerance to sudden death syndrome if we can figure out which varieties those are and use that variety in that field. Okay, on to the specific questions. First out the gate on Phragmites. So Nature Nut Nick at Strathroy saying, hey Peter, the Conservation Authority here, St. Clair, when they deal with Phragmites, you're right. It's a 5% solution of glyphosate, but they're always doing it around Labor Day. Remember, Phragmites, it's a perennial. So it's a perennial that's there forever. Well, in the fall, it's feeding down into the roots, just like perennial sow thistle or quack grass or any of those perennial crops. So the best time to control them is in the fall, right now around Labor Day. And perhaps that grower who put glyphosate on it earlier did it in the spring or June, somewhere in that time frame. The plant's feeding up. You don't get nearly as good a control. Excellent comment, Nick. And so hopefully that helps with that thought process. Next, Steve, you have corn that's written 
written off out in Prince Edward County, one of those incredibly dry areas. So the corn's written off. He's going to plant some rye into it, some fall rye, cereal rye as a cover crop. He's saying, what about wheat there? And if I do plant rye, what about next spring planting corn into the rye? Is there a problem there or do I have to go soybeans? So first off, let's talk about wheat into that corn. Absolutely, you can plant wheat into the corn. Remember that fusarium becomes the issue. So a moderately resistant variety, make sure you spray it with a fusarium fungicide. We've been through that thought process, so I think that works. You plant the rye, that's a great cover crop, going to do great things for the soil, build up the organic matter so it can handle the next drought better. The big problem, you said corn into that rye. Well, first off, corn into rye can be problematic. If you're going to do that, you need to kill the rye at least two weeks before you plant the corn. But the other part of that scenario is, hey, wait just a minute. That's corn on corn. The rye is not going to break that rotation problem. I don't like corn on corn. I'd way rather you went into soybeans if you could at all. So a couple of reasons there why you might push yourself towards soybeans if you could. An organic farmer calling in saying, okay, Peter, I'm going to plant wheat on Labor Day. I've done the germination test. It's more than 95%. I'm saving my own seed. Save a little money on that. Uh, yes, you save money. You don't support new variety development though. Don't forget that. It's a real problem in the wheat industry. Enough. We'll talk about that another time. And 1.4 to 1.5 million seeds per acre is what he's going to seed on Labor Day. And his question is, is that enough? Well, first off, you're an organic grower. If you're a conventional grower and you are going to put on 120 pounds or 135 pounds of nitrogen next spring and you're planning on Labor Day, no way, 1.5 million is too many seeds per acre. Cut it back. 1.2 million is plenty. Maybe a million is enough. But you're not a conventional farmer. You're an organic farmer. Well, all of a sudden things change. No nitrogen in the spring. The crop's not going to lodge. The chances of lodging extremely slim. Your number one fight is weed control. Some excellent work done at Laura Research Station, Mike Cobra's spearheading this work, where they're looking at row width and plant populations and trying to increase the competitiveness of the crop so that we get less weeds. In your situation, even though you're ultra early, we want good weed control. Man, I think 1.5 million is a minimum. I might even push it up if it's farmer-saved seed and not costing you a lot. Maybe 1.8 million is going to give you better weed control. I think you'll look at it just a little bit differently. All right, another caller saying, hey, Peter, leave my oats, deal with them in the spring. What's wrong with that? Well, oats is a cover crop I love, but if they're out there and you planted them on the 10th of August and we had a really wet August and they're growing gangbusters and they get out in head and you don't touch them this fall, that big mat of straw lays down on the soil surface and it's ugly in the spring. So manage the oat crop based on how tall it gets. Once it gets knee high, I want you to clip it. If it gets above knee high, I think it causes you problem next spring. If you plant it late enough, it never gets above knee high, then you can deal with it in the spring, won't cause you a problem. Lloyd, you wondered why you got potash deficiency showing up in your soybeans when it rained. Because up until it rained, you had no potash deficiency at all, and all of a sudden, bingo, rains, you think life is good, and there's potash deficiency. What causes that almost for sure it's because once the plant got the moisture it went into rapid pod fill and there is a whack of potash in the soybean itself in most crops all the potash is in the the stover the stalk or the straw very little in the grain soybeans the other way lots of potash in the grain get some rain pod fill goes into high gear and guess what you got potash deficiency and probably at the top of the plant when potash deficiency normally shows at the bottom why does that happen because in that rapid 
rapid pod fill stage. It's looking for as much potash as it can find and it's just sucking it where the leaves are closest to that particular sink and they're the top pods. So that I think is why we see that potash deficiency show up. Okay, enough. Move on quickly onto the wheat varieties. First off, in the Ontario Farmer, I was quoted as saying that Ava is awful for stripe rust. That was a misquote. It's Venture that is awful for stripe rust. Ava is not bad for stripe rust as well. I was a little hard on 25W31. I got some pushback from growers. They're telling me that 25W31 in farmer strip trials does better than it looks like in the provincial performance trials. Fair enough. Maybe it's not quite as far behind. Maybe it's equal. Maybe it's better. I don't know. Do your own tests. The one real challenge with W31 is it's not a true white. There's two genes for the white brand. It's only got one under stress conditions like 2016. It becomes a rose-colored wheat. That's another issue that I think you just have to be aware of and want to deal with. Nick, you asked about Gallus versus Priestley. Gallus is a moderately susceptible for Fusarium. Priestley is a susceptible for the Fusarium head blight index and a moderately susceptible for Dawn. So Dawn is really what the Millers look like. They're probably equal from a Dawn standpoint, but if you're going to give the edge on Fusarium to one, you give it to Gallus, not to Priestley. Past that, with regard to soft red winter wheat varieties, it's all in the Ontario Farmer. I talked to Peter Reschke. If you have questions about a particular variety, then you can ask and we'll talk about it on the update next week. That's it. That's all on behalf of the team here at Really agriculture.com. This is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, August the 31st. We'll be back next Wednesday. Hey, it'll be September then. Keep the questions coming and get ready to go out there and plant wheat. Talk to you soon. Bye now.